It's all for you, Dan. Right there. Come on. Feel the love. My name is Jeff. Um, I am from Greeley, Colorado, uh, which South Park describes as the opposite of Hawaii. <laughs> it's always good to be back home uh, here. There are a few men who I appreciate and love and am thankful for more in my life than Dan and Doug self and uh, all that this community has meant to me. So with that, um, I would love to pray for us, get us rolling, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to have a good time today. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for this community here on the Western Slope that uh, loves you, dedicates themselves to you, wants to pour that love into the lives of people all through this valley. I pray, God, that your power would rest on them, that you'd fill them with joy and peace and perseverance and strength. May you remind them of their identity as your precious daughters and sons. Uh, we, may we lift up this time to you. Um, as yours, may you speak to us in fresh ways in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're going to go some places uh, today. It's going to take me like eight or nine minutes to just set the stage, but I promise you we're, we're going to do some fun stuff today. Many of you know this. The Bible is a story about God, and it's about God's world, and it's about God's world spoiling. And the real question throughout the Bible is what's God going to do about God's spoiled world? In a nutshell, that's where, where things go. The healing of the world from the infection that takes control in it, that the Bible calls sin. The healing of God world, God's world starts with a man who grows up in modern-day Iraq, and his name's Abram, and Abram gets called by God to do something amazing with his one and only life. God comes to Abram, and he says this to him. Nothing. Which... <laughs> Which, that, that preaches right there, by the way. No, because um, you and I, how often does God not, you know, it feels like God's not saying anything. Actually, God comes and he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. It's great to have God say, I'm going to make you great. But notice, it doesn't stop there. It's in order that all the nations on earth would be blessed through you. The word for nations here is ethnos in Greek. Let me hear you say the word ethnos. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's how they translate that word. This is repeated, this uh, blessing is repeated three times to Abraham, over and over and over again. Anytime something's repeated in the Bible three times, holy, holy, holy. Anytime something is repeated three times, it is emphasized in the highest. Like, this, this is a big deal that this is the commission, the identity. This is, you know, this is who Abram and his descendants are going to be. And Abram, Abram, as you know, becomes Abraham. And the story of the Bible is very much about Abraham, Abraham's descendants, about the land that Abraham and his descendants occupy, and about the lineage of Abraham. Now, um, this is apparently how God likes to work. Um, you have been given something great so that you can do something great for others. You have been forgiven so that you can forgive. Blessed are the merciful. You know, they will be shown mercy. Freely you've received. Freely give. That kind of logic is all over the scriptures, right? And apparently that's the way that the infection in God's world is actually going to get 
put down. It's going to get put down by this form of lavish generosity. And this giving of God's goodness is actually the work of priests. Priests are the ones who receive something from God. They dish it out to everybody out, uh, everybody else. Um, you receive something fantastic, give it to the people, right? And so you actually see that image, this priestly image, not just given to a bunch of celibate, you know, guys in the Old Testament. It's actually given to everyone. Some of you will be familiar with the story of the Bible. Abraham's descendants go into slavery in Egypt. They get rescued out of slavery in Egypt. God takes them into the desert, and he's going to give them Ten Commandments. Before he gives them the Ten Commandments, notice how God sets this up. He speaks over them, and he says this. Um, He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself, and you will be for me a nation of priests. This is a rule for everybody. Women, children, you know, even the guys get in on the, everybody gets to be part of this. You are going to be for me a nation of priests. Two weeks ago, Dan spoke about identity and living out of your identity um, as sons and daughters of God. This is that image. You end up being a nation of priests. Live richly out of that identity. This ends up, in my mind, being the whole experiment that takes place throughout the Old Testament is can Israel, can the descendants of Abraham, can they actually live up to this calling? What's it going to look like as they seek to bless all nations? Now one prophet, uh, about what, uh, one prophet in in the history of Israel, a man named Isaiah, says this about about, uh, Israel's vocation. He says, as his book is coming to a close, and he's telling them this is how, you know, everything is going to be set right, he says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One more, Pete and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and they will be called priests of the Lord. Some of you will have like lights on your dashboard going off because you're like, I think I've heard that before. If you've been around the orchard for a few years, you know, what, three years ago when you started going through Luke? Two years ago? You'll know that Jesus, when he begins his public teaching career, starts with this passage. Sovereign Lord's upon me, good news for the poor. And that's where it ends. It ends with vocation and calling. You are to be this nation of priests. Um, now, Abraham's descendants, through his uh, grandson Jacob, are called Israel, as you know. The image of Israel throughout the Bible is... Uh, there's a real common image, and it's of, of a vineyard or grapes. There, even today, actually, if you look at currency or some stamps that come from Israel, you'll see something like this. Uh, this is a really good one, by the way. Um, and you'll be familiar, some of you will be familiar with this, this story. This comes out of the book of Joshua. Um, there, or wait, no, it doesn't. It comes out of uh, Deuteronomy. Is it Deuteronomy? don't know anything about the Bible. I'm just, I have racy blackmail about Dan, and he lets me stand up here and when he wants a week off, because I'm like, hey, you know, I like microphones. Um, is it Leviticus that the story is in? I'm going to look that up. Um, somewhere at the beginning of the Bible, this story takes place. 
the Hebrew people are going to go and enter the promised land. It's Abraham's land. They're going to take back Abraham's land. And they send some spies into the land to scout it out, what's going on there. And, and what, what happens is really interesting. The spies bring back a mixed report about, you know, it's kind of scary. We should probably take it. No, really big people there. No, 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 it's God's land. But they also bring back this cluster of grapes. It's this massive cluster of grapes. And it's like people are hearing the report about the land while they're eating the grapes. Um, it's like they, they're tasting God's future there in the desert. They're in this desert. They're surrounded by nothing, but they're tasting the fruit of God's future. And this becomes this beautiful pi- picture of what Israel is. It's like, it's like Israel's land where you taste the fruit of God's future. And so um, Isaiah, in, in using this image, he says this at the beginning of his book. He says, I'm going to sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. He dug it up and cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest vines, built a watchtower in it, and cut out a wine press. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. Like, and this is the story of Israel. It's like, you are my vineyard. And a vineyard has a real interesting image. If you look through the rest of Isaiah, it's like this image of care and intention. Here it's an image of God's protection. There's this watchtower. Um, wine is a royal drink. Normal people, even in this day, the, like the um, folks who don't have a lot of wealth will drink beer. But wine is a royal uh, drink. And of course, wine and the vineyard, these are all images really of just lavish joy. And so one of the psalm writers picks this up. One of the many things there said, you know, about vineyards and vines and wine in the Old Testament. Um, The psalm writer says this. uh, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You planted it. You cleared the ground for it. And it took root and it filled the earth. The, The vine isn't just for that land, that specific piece of property. It is, this is the Abrahamic uh, covenant and blessing. It's going to fill the earth, right? And that's a priestly image. You are brought out of Egypt. I have selected you so that you can be a blessing to all the other people. So that that, that care, that intention that God, um, that protection that God has for all the people, the joy God longs to have all people experience, um, that identification as royalty, this is meant for everybody, and it's a priestly image. And so in my mind, all the images kind of come together here. Priestly image, image of the vine, they come together. It is the priestly action to take the good things of God and hand them to others, and that's how the world is repaired. Like, God has called Abraham, you are my vine. The the wine, as it were, the lavishness, all that it represents is going to flood the earth. And that's how sin gets destroyed. And apparently there is something about giving the bounty of God to others through the grapes that is, you know, deeply part of the heart of God, right? Apparently God likes orchards. So that usually, you know, that's a good thing, right? Um, there is, yeah, that's the image. This brings us to Luke. If you, if you want to follow along in the Bibles in front of you, we're on page 733, um, but I'll have the slides up as well. If you've been following along, uh, we're in Luke 20, verse 9. Um, Luke's been telling, Luke is an ancient, not ancient, he's a, uh, he's a biographer of Jesus, uh, may not be a Jewish man, um, maybe a Jewish man who was raised in a Gentile's home, but he has a non-Jewish name. Uh, and he is telling the story, 
the, where we're at here in Luke of the last week of Jesus' life and what some people call Passion Week or Holy Week. On Sunday, and you guys have seen this, on Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, uh, not a colt, he's on a peaceful animal. And he enters the temple that's on top of Mount Zion. And the Gospel of Mark, another biography, tells us that when Jesus arrives at Mount Zion, nobody's there. He like walks into the temple and he looks around and nobody's there. Nobody's there to welcome him. So he leaves, right? And the next day he comes back. And, and this time, the, the temple is filled with people. And um, I know Charlie covered this last week. He comes in and he begins flipping over the tables. Um, and he begins judging the temple. And he says in a bold voice, you know, my house will be a house of prayer for all the people that God really likes, but nobody else, Right? My house is going to be a house of prayer just for Bronco fans because we know God only likes the Broncos. My house is just going to be a house of prayer, you know, for good Americans. No, the, the image is Jesus steps in the temple. He says, my house will be a house of prayer for who? For all the nations, for the ethnos. That's the, that's the word there. My house is going to be a house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. Robbers don't rob in dens. Robbers rob somewhere else, and then they go back to their dens, right? That's where the robbers hang out, right? So apparently the temple has become this place. The robbers have stolen something, and they're like bunkered down um, in their den, holding out. And apparently this is what Jesus thinks of those who control the temple and the temple system. Lots of things to say there. But apparently the big idea was that Abraham was called to bless all the people, but you've stolen something from all the people, right? Real interesting archaeological discovery took place recently. This is a uh, recreation of the temple. It's like a model maker's picture of the temple. You'll notice something here. The big building on the far right is the Holy of Holies. This is where it was believed that God dwelled, specifically in Solomon's temple, the first temple. You'll see another building. It's called the inner court. Um, inside the inner court is where sacrifices are made. So if you were coming to commune with God, if you're coming to bring a, an animal sacrifice to God, that's where you would go. You'd go into the inner court, you'd sacrifice something, and often you'd have a meal with God, as it were, and there was something profound that took place there. You, in front of the Holy Holies, having an experience of God. Now, the outer wall is often called the outer court, or it's called the court of the Gentiles. This is where you can go if you're not Jewish. You can't go into the inner court if, uh, if you're not Jewish. So the outer court was known as the court of the Gentiles. This is actually where all the animals are being, sacrificed, or being sold. This is where the tables that Jesus flips over, that's where they are. And there's a real interesting thing that gets Jesus upset. And of, of all things, this was just recently discovered. There is, um, there was a sign that apparently hung over the doors going into the inner courts that Gentiles, non-Jewish people would see. And it said this, no foreigner is to go into the temple court, uh, in, into the inner court of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death which will immediately follow, right? I'm just here to experience God, man, you know, and you get bludgeoned or something in the inner court. This, but this is, this is the attitude of those who apparently control the temple mount, right? So you could see how Jesus might get flustered. Don't you realize God's house will be a house of prayer for all the ethnos, 
for all the people, for everybody, for the foreigners. Like that's, that's what the house is supposed to be, right? He gets really mad because apparently the Gentiles have to hang outside with, well, in the places where they're, you know, selling animals, right? So imagine that you've come from like Libya, right? And you've hiked and you want to experience the God of Israel, right? And you show up and you see the sign. You're like, okay, well, that's, I get to hang in the outer court, right? So, well, maybe I'll make my prayers here. But of course, you look to your right and you see something like this. Help me out, Pete. <laughs> Actually, can you go one more forward? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nothing makes you want to worship God more than livestock. <laughs> that kind of worked. Okay, so <laughs> the temple has failed. That's really what it is. We actually know what failure looks like. Some of you have been on FailBlog and have seen failure. Let me give you a few, few samples from a website called FailBlog. This is a fail, right? <laughs> Just is. Let me show you another fail. <laughs> or how about this? <laughs> or maybe that... That actually might be a win, just depending on who you are, but <laughs> if you are that sort of person, <laughs> fail. Okay, this one's my favorite. <laughs> that's actually what's going on. You know, the temple has become a failure because that's essentially what the ethnos see, right? All of this is set up for Tuesday. So Monday, Jesus judges the temple. Tuesday, he comes back to teach. Um, as, as Dan taught two weeks ago, the first thing that happens is his authority is questioned. Who are you to judge our temple, right? And of course, he does um, religious jujitsu, makes the religious elite look kind of foolish. And then he brings the pain. And that's where we're at. We're uh, chapter 20, verse 9. says this. He went to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. Uh-huh. Rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him up and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. But that one also they beat and treated shamefully and he sent away empty-handed. He still sent a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the vineyard owner said, what shall I do? Like, I keep sending these people. I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they'll respect him. I would love for you to do this. I would love for you to turn the person next to you. Look at this passage for a minute. What's going on here? Like, really? Like, what do you see here? Just first thing that comes to your mind, turn your person next to you. If you don't know him yet, your breath smells fabulous. And just, like, say the first thing that comes to your mind. Go.
This actually would have been quite new for Jesus' audience because they're used to the story of the vineyard owner sending servants. But there's a wrinkle here. They haven't heard the part about the son yet, right? That's actually brand new. They're, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're changing the story, man. I know the story about the servants. We need to listen to the servants. That's how that goes. No, 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 the son's here. And then they're like, okay, tell me more, right? Well, he goes on. Uh, when the tenants saw him, saw the son, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. This, there's some strange economics at work at this time, but apparently that's how it goes. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He asks rhetorically. And then he actually answers his own question, because apparently they were stunned. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Um, in the previous chapter, which you saw, Luke 19, Jesus tells a story about the talents, and he gives talents to a bunch of people. One of the servants buries the talent. This is no good. It's like it, it ought to be, you know, I put it in the same place that I put dead bodies, you know, down in the earth, right? Man who gave him the talents, the master comes back, he says, where's my money? I put it in the earth. I buried it, right? take that guy out, kill him. Same, same story. I mean, the same image going on. Something beautiful, brilliant, worthy, valuable has been taken, and it's just not being used correctly. Um, and there's like serious penalties where, uh, that are instigated by the owner. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid, because they know exactly what Jesus is saying. And they, Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written Stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The verse here is from Psalm 118. It's a pilgrimage psalm. Everybody who is coming to Jerusalem would have been singing this song about God building his temple. Stone the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. And Jesus wants to especially earmark that, right? couple big things going on here worth saying. Actually, I would love for you to turn to the person next to you. What else do you see here? Like this one's a little bit more tricky. The other one's kind of easy. But what do you see in this passage? Um, again, turn to the person next to you. What do you see going on here? A couple things, it seems to me, that are worth note. Um, 
One, the word in Hebrew for, for stone and the word for sun look really similar. The, the word for sun is ben, and the word for stone is eben. So there's kind of like this image there. It's like the, the sun is going to become the stone of this new temple. Secondly, and this shouldn't, you shouldn't miss this, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem with 12 disciples, right? It's as though he's like, I have replacements for you all right? Because the 12, na- the 12 tribes of Israel have been controlling, as it were, the, the Temple Mount. It's like, I have faithful stewards to take your place to represent 12 tribes. But the image of Psalm 118 and the building of this new temple is really important to, to the work of Christ, to the New Testament. The image of the new temple is huge. Um, God loves the world. In fact, God so loved the world, he gives his son, And what we read in Genesis 1 and 2 isn't just God creating the world. Scholars today say Genesis 1 is about the creation of a temple. Genesis 1 is about God making a creation that God is going to enter, right? Genesis 3 is about that temple going all wrong and getting perverted and all the wrong things begin to happen in the temple. So what does it look like for God to return to his temple and set everything right? Mark tells us that, John, that Jesus returns to the temple and nobody's there, right? Well, apparently something, maybe a new temple needs to be constructed. And what is going on here is Jesus is saying, I am building the new temple and I'm going to be the chief cornerstone. And the temple, and we didn't see this coming, the temple is actually going to be you, you are going to be my temple. You are the ones that I'm going to dwell in. You are going to be that place of prayer for all the nations. And we're not going to wait for the nations to come to this one location. We're going to go out to them where they're at, right? And you are going to be the royal priesthood that oversees that temple. Jesus in John's gospel says, I am the vine. That is, Jesus is the new vineyard, the new priest who is holding out all the goodness of God to the world around us. And as priests um, who serve Jesus, um, we're going to those who've never heard this and saying it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how you self-identify, how you vote, what country you come from, what religion you affirm. Jesus' temple is being constructed for all ethnos. That is the entire story of the Bible. This is for everybody, and there's not one person that you can point to that is excluded. All people. And this is what's going to be served. What's going to be served is the wine. And it's not my wine. It's apparently the landowner's wine. And he wants his wine back. And it makes him really mad when people hoard the wine, apparently. And he wants the wine back because he wants to way to everybody else. The point. Don't be stingy. That's the point of the parable. I saw that, okay, so I was, I got to that point this morning where I was prepping uh, for today, and I was like, I'm going to check the Twitter. What's on the Twitter? And this was the first thing I saw. It says, two news feeds, CNN. In America, more than 13 million families struggle to feed their children. Why does America have so many hungry kids? Second news feed, visitors are taking helicopters to the Hamptons in New York to avoid traffic, and year-round residents can't stand the noise. (laughs) Hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) There, There is something about hoarding 
that just, it doesn't sit well. You know what I mean? You're just like, I don't think that's how this is supposed to go, right? The posture of your heart is supposed to be lavish. And if you've looked at Luke's gospel, you know this because every single story is about this. Let me, let me prove this to you real quick. Jesus tells a story about stewards, one of whom buries the master's coin, right? He's not, he's, he's squandering. That's really what it is. He's squandering what God has given him, right? There's the story of the rich man who would not serve Lazarus. He uses it to serve himself, squandering his wealth. Prodigal son goes to a distant country, squanders all his wealth. The older son can't think of anything more to ask his father than of a goat. Like, I haven't even asked you for a goat for a party with some of my friends. And his father says, everything I have is yours. You are squandering you know, your birthright. There's the great banquet. King says, invite everybody to come in. I'm going to have a wedding banquet for my son. And everybody sees that invitation. And they're like, yeah, weddings take too long, right? The, there's the rich fool who takes all of his, you know, his, uh, his, his crop. And he says, you know, I have way too much for myself. What am I going to do? I'm going to build really big barns to put all of it in so that I can hoard it for myself only person Jesus says, and then God said, you know what, I'm going to take your life. And that's the only time this ever happens. This man who is hoarding, is is squandering what God has poured into his hands. And of course, you know the story of the priest and the Levi who are going down a road to worship God and serve him, and they see a man beat, care more about their religious experience. You know, if I touched him, I might become unclean. They care more about their religious experience than this man who's made in God's image. They just go on. But a Samaritan saw him, stooped down, served him. Life is found when it overflows. Life is found when it spills. Otherwise, it becomes dead. God's given us good things to give freely away. So, let's do this. On the night uh, Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took the cup According to Luke, Jesus said, This is the cup filled with wine of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Take this. Don't hoard it for yourself. Divide it among you. This is the life. This is the wine. This is the symbol of how the world gets repaired. This is the image of God's world being restored. And it's given to us. Peter takes the Abrahamic promise. Let me close here. And he says this to his audience. He says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy ethnos. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Freely you've received. Freely give. In order to worship Christ um, alongside all the other things we've done, I would love to invite you to pause, to quiet your hearts, to just for a moment to reflect on all the generous things that the Father God has poured into your life, good and bad. All the lavish love that God consistently pours into your life. Take note of the rich blessings of Christ in restoring your soul setting you right, putting you on proper paths, lighting your way. And perhaps you can likewise in the same moment, and this may be hard for most of us, 
Think of the folks who are excluded from that or have been excluded from that. In our own hearts, in our own churches, in our own country, etc. Who are the people who are routinely excluded from the life-giving wine that Christ offers? Let's hold these in tension. And perhaps as you come forward today, or maybe if you do, to come and take the bread and take the cup and receive, maybe you can have this in your heart. You are going to be the place where you acknowledge, I am a temple of the living God who has been made not to hoard the blessings that Christ pours into my life, but to be that place that simply pours forth and spills into all the world around me. May that be true of me. May that be true of you. May that be true of us collectively. May it be known throughout our land. You know what Christians are? Christians are those who spill the goodness of Christ everywhere they go. So be it. Lord Jesus, thank you for this food, the table that you've prepared for us. Thank you for the bread and the wine. Thank you that you lavish great generosity and love into our lives. May we take and receive with deep thanks, with deep gratitude, aware of our own failures, aware of our restoration, aware of our adoption as sons and daughters. May we be filled, Lord Jesus, with all good things, and may they spill forth continually into the world around us in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're ready